0: At Spark Cognition, Vijay Duradla is part of the team that is trying to solve the world's most challenging problems by using artificial intelligence. As the chief business officer, VJ brings his experience in engineering, technology, research, and investing to catapulting Spark Cognition to new and exciting industries and innovations. In this episode, VJ and Ian discuss everything from how and why to invest and the exciting projects Spark Cognition is working on, including autonomous everything from planes to power plants and more. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Vijay, what's going on?
2: Nothing much. How are you, Ian?
1: You know, it's a, it's a brilliant day here with no technical difficulties at all, yeah. as we tend to have on a very technical yeah. podcast. Yeah, we're, we're excited to, to chat with you today. And I think it's going to be you know, a little bit different from some of the other interviews that we've done because you are a chief business officer. Can I explain what your role is and your responsibilities at Spark Cognition?
2: Yeah, sure, Ian. And uh, as a chief business officer, my role primarily focuses on the business development, go-to-market, partnership, strategy. Uh, we're in the midst of a fundraise, so there's a, a lot focus on any sort of funding events. And then overall, one of the other things that I'm sort of helping the sales team is to uh, make sure that we have our processes in place in terms of delivering our bookings and revenue as a company.
1: And kind of explain what you're working on at, at Spark Cognition. You know, we have a lot of focus on AI here, you know, at, at IT Visionaries, and how intelligence, artificial intelligence, synthetic intelligence, and a lot of other types of machine learning, and what this future kind of looks like. What is Spark Cognition working on?
2: Yeah, so Spark Cognition is one of the leading artificial intelligence companies in the world offering solutions to solving some very, very hard problems in the world. We believe uh, we are the leading provider of, of solutions. In the industrial sector, we're solving problems in the oil and gas sector, in the power generation sector, uh, separately in the you know aerospace sector and telco sector. So we view ourselves as a platform AI company with one of the deepest tech and foundational algorithms where we can stand up solutions in various different, different verticals. Uh, very quickly. So, as an example, we, um, we're we offering some predictive maintenance solutions in the industrial sector. We've uh, done a big partnership with Boeing that uh, would love to talk a little more about where we're trying to build the future of the operating system for autonomous flying vehicles. Believe it or not, that's kind of crazy when you, when you hear that. But we believe that in the next uh, decade or so, we're going to have autonomous drones ferrying passengers ferrying cargoes ferrying uh, medicine in some scenarios and how do these vehicles traverse from point a to point b autonomously without crashing into each other how do you manage the flight control and the air traffic control if you may you know use another sort of analogy so we're working on very various different big problems and uh, some of them that i mentioned are a few off the top of my head. It's really interesting.
1: And I think, you know, one of the reasons why we're so excited to talk to you today is that, you know, you're still a pretty early stage company. And I think a lot of the bigger organizations that are out there that are working on how to look at leveraging drone technology or looking at things like autonomous power plants or, or, or you know, flying cars and some of the aerospace stuff. A lot of those companies are the actual business units within those companies. It's not someone necessarily looking to how does it, how does someone augment that with artificial intelligence? You know, I think what's interesting in our conversation before the episode is about how you all believe ai is going to be in everything and so therefore being a platform for ai is sets you up for the future can you talk about like just an overview of like how you
2: believe that that's going to be the case yeah no and that's a very good question so um, um you know this is a this could be an interesting test and uh, you know maybe we should we we're recording this conversation so we'll have this uh, timestamp, but I'm predicting the next five to 10 years, we're not even going to talk about AI. You know, AI will find its way and is finding its way in sort of the fabric of corporations and companies and the way we we operate. Imagine this, right? Uh, Even like a decade ago, things that we're doing on our smartphone were not even imaginable. Right with the advent of the iPhone and with the next generation sort of wireless technologies, companies like Uber and companies like Facebook and Dropbox and all these companies, the web skill companies, were built, you know, on top of these foundational sort of technologies, right? Uh, be it the 4G in the wireless sector and the cloud, as well as the innovation of the hardware on the mobile side. So now we're at this stage where we believe artificial intelligence has come to a sort of a tipping point in terms of adoption because you know if you think about even a handset there's a lot of ai that's in your handset in terms of Im- image recognition speech yeah, recognition yeah absolutely and so these things are coming to you know very easily coming and they've sort of become almost like table sticks you don't look at siri or amazon and think hey I'm, I'm i'm i have artificial intelligence in my home it's just that you have you start talking to siri i have two little boys one of their best pastimes is they ask silly questions. We have an Amazon uh, Alexa device in our home and all they do is ask silly questions, interact with Alexa and all that. So we're seeing that in the consumer side, we are now getting to see that in scale on the enterprise side. So examples like you mentioned autonomous vehicles, you talked about autonomous power plants. We talked about the operating system for the future of autonomous flying vehicles, you talk about cyber security, you talk about, you know, automated model building, these technologies are coming and they're sort of permeating themselves in our day-to-day lives on the consumer side, as well as the enterprise side. And so I'll give you simple examples. We're working with, as I said, Boeing on the operating system for autonomous vehicles. We're working with a large power generation company, Mitsubishi Tashi Power Systems, for building autonomous power plant. What would that mean? It doesn't mean that the power plant is going to run all by itself. What it means is all of a sudden you have artificial intelligence doing a lot of things that humans do, but it'll augment it will augment the sort of the capabilities of the human being. If a human being is Um, managing one plant 24-7, that human being should be able to manage two or three plants. So the efficiency of how you generate power will will fundamentally change, right, from a safety perspective and from a go-to-market perspective. So these are some examples of how... And that's why we believe... The deep foundational technologies, the deep foundational algorithms, our capability to stand up, you know, sort of use cases very quickly based on our fundamental foundation of patents, algorithms, and core technology will give us an edge uh, compared to our competitors.
1: What do you think the those type of projects and the type of influence that you're going to have? Are you inventing technology are you working with existing technology to leverage what they're doing like what's the um and i know you can't say like too much about about you know anything um proprietary but how do how is that kind of a blend of what you're you're making and and leveraging for those uh for your customers
2: right um and that's a great question ian so it's a mix of both right so we we have close to i think in total a uh, 33 to 35 you know, granted and pending patents. We believe we have some foundational invention in the areas of genetic neuroevolutionary algorithms, automated model building. Uh, We're doing a lot of work around transfer learning and reinforcement learning that are cutting edge, which, um, you know, I think our our engineers and our data scientists are filing patents. So these are inventions, right? But then, you know, one of the things uh, that artificial intelligence companies sort of struggle with is, You know, if you don't package this technology in a consumable format, which can demonstrate, you know, an ROI for an enterprise, then they're not going to use it. It it doesn't matter how, how great the technology is and if it's artificial intelligence or not. So what we do is, as an example, I was mentioning the oil and gas sector. Predictive maintenance has been in the oil and gas sector for a long, long time. And what we have done is we have taken the predictive maintenance concept to the next level where we are introducing artificial intelligence to monitor not only assets like combustion turbines and pumps and electrical systems and business processes, but we've, we've taken it to the next level where we're making that, we're, we're essentially using our, our technology and our software to monitor an entire platform. So we just recently announced, I'll put out a press release, that we've done a large deal with Acker BP. This is a Norwegian oil and gas company. And what we're doing with them is essentially going to be monitoring the, using artificial intelligence, monitoring an entire offshore drilling platform. They're generally around 60 to 70 critical assets that are streaming data in real time, and they're being captured in the cloud. And what we're doing is now applying our artificial intelligence algorithms at the edge where the platform, uh, uh, the AI is learning from all this data in real time and is detecting behavioral anomalies so that you can catch something where a human being would probably not be able to catch. So so it's a mix and match of, I would say, well-known industry verticals. Predictive maintenance has been around for I would say, 100 years, right? FlowServe is a flow service pump man, manufacturer, and they're, I think, a 200-year-old 200, 200 company, and I'm sure they were doing some sort of predictive maintenance, be it a manual or be it some software, as as you know, technology evolved. But now we're taking that very established sort of uh, vertical use cases of technology and applying artificial intelligence and cutting-edge algorithms to that and taking that to the next level.
1: So you have some pretty interesting investors and I know you can't go too much into kind of the fundraising aspects of this, but, but some of the companies that have invested in previous uh, rounds, I think are, are super fascinating as it comes to companies that are investing in AI. And as it's such an important topic right now, and it's at, it's like, you know, earliest stages. Why do you think those companies are, are excited? And if you, can, if you can share some of those, um, those companies that are investing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, I've been on sort of the both sides of the equation. If you look at our previous round, which uh, was a Series B round, we raised $52.5 million in the Series B round. And the, the round actually was led by Verizon Ventures where I used to work at Verizon Ventures prior to becoming Chief Business Officer of Spark Cognition. I actually led the round for Spark Cognition. I worked with Boeing and State Street and we built the syndicate together and invested in Spark Cognition collectively. And I think the rationale behind that investment, uh, from a Verizon perspective, a Boeing perspective, a State Street perspective, imagine all the, all these three companies: the largest aviation company in the world, the largest telco in the world, and one of the largest custodian banks in the world, State Street. I think is if not the biggest, but one of the top two. Right? All of them came to invest in Spark Cognition with the vision of seeing some of these technologies being commercialized. And the ability of these large companies for, you know, adopting new disruptive technologies to improve their efficiency, improve their innovation. Right. And in some cases, it's not disruptive. It's it's sort of augments what what people are doing at the company right now. So the common theme when I was on the other side in terms of cutting checks was, hey, how can we find one of the most sort of innovative companies where we can invest um, a dollars into an innovative company, help the company grow and adopt the technology where we could potentially get, you know, sort of a disruptive edge versus our competition. So Verizon, you know, when I was at Verizon Ventures, we were constantly looking to push the envelope of innovation inside and outside where we could potentially, you know, work with a company like Spark our The same thing happened with Boeing. If you talk to Steve Norland, who is our chairman and the head of Horizon X, His rationale for investing in Spark Cognition was, can I take the technology that Spark is building, and can I take this into Boeing and sort of accelerate, catalyze the innovation process using artificial intelligence?
1: That's really interesting. And and I want to go a little bit more into into your background with Verizon Ventures in in a second. Another thing, and uh, I don't know if you can talk about this at all, one of your investors is also John Chambers, right? The former longtime CEO of Cisco.
2: Yes, absolutely. And uh, I was just telling Hillary that as we were working through the, uh, the, the technical issues uh, on the technical podcast, John Chambers was actually in our office right now. And I think he's leaving in a couple of minutes. He spent the whole day with us. He came in last night. He's, he's an investor. He was an investor in the series uh, B round through his... Family office and venture fund called j c two and since then he has been a big champion, big supporter, big advisor and so we had our bi monthly all hands meeting and john was uh, was kind enough to fly out from california, spend time with us with the management team as well as you know host the all hands meeting so and and you know what he brings to the table is you know he's one of these amazing leaders who has been there, done that, seen every single movie you can think of on planet Earth when it comes to the enterprise market. And what we did with him today uh, since the morning was walking through our pipeline, walking through our sales process, walking through our defense, business, walk him through, you know, as a chief business officer, I spent some time with him talking about deals and our strategy and, and get his sort of pulse on, on, are we on the right track or not? We also spent a lot of time with him yesterday at dinner talking about culture. One of the, I think, key takeaways of working with John was how important it is for us to sort of define what our culture is. And there's no right or wrong answer to it, but the importance of institutionalizing the culture in the fabric of the company so that we know who we are, we know who we're not, and how we hire people as we grow the company to the next level, we hire the right talent that fits our culture. So, that was a very... A sort of big eye opener for me personally, in terms of, you know, listening to John uh, at the all hands meeting, as well as at dinner and our interaction with him today during the, the daytime.
1: Yeah. And the reason why I bring it up, I mean, I think it's super interesting because there's a lot of companies out there that I think feel, especially bigger companies, that feel at times like they don't have, you know, the support, like a lot of, you know, IT leaders, CIOs or, or CTOs or whoever who might not have the ear of their, of their CEO all the time. And to see someone like John who's investing in, you know, multiple companies about drone technology and about AI and things like that and seeing him so invested in specifically in Spark cognition, I think is an interesting look into the ecosystem right now and where it's at in this kind of early stage. When you were investing with Verizon, how did you go about looking... Well, actually, let, let me take a step back. You know, we have a lot of, obviously, listeners who are who are IT leaders, who are senior IT leaders that are looking for innovation. So how did you look for innovation when you were at Verizon and what are some of those takeaways that you think IT leaders could use to, to look at innovation?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> if you look at many of the large companies, there's uh, multiple vehicles of, of innovation. A few of them would be like, as an example, um, many of the companies have a chief digital officer. Many of the companies have a chief innovation officer. And what these organizations do is they look to push the envelope of innovation, right? So you look at your business, you look at what your um, what your core business is, and you're constantly the, the the sort of the core strategy group is constantly looking to see what is it that we can do to increase the buy, increase the revenue stream, you know, accelerate the growth of core business and the peripheral businesses. And these innovation arms and innovation um, you know, leadership within the companies, you know, assist in that sort of iterative process of what should we build what should we outsource uh, you know build by or partner so that's one sort of vehicle right another very powerful vehicle that we're seeing emerge in corporate America right now and it's sort of a big resurgence is the venture arm and I view the venture investment arm of a corporation as another vehicle for driving disruptive ideas innovation and new uh, and sort of new blood into the stream of the company in terms of how do you look at problems? Uh, are there any new cutting edge technologies that could potentially accelerate or even redefine what we're doing as a company? So at Verizon Ventures, one of the things I was doing was, you know, we're sourcing, uh, you know, we had a corporate venture arm and I was one of the lead investment professionals there. And I was very focused on next generation networking, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and some other thematic ideas. And what I would do is constantly, you know, travel to the West Coast, obviously meet with startups. We had a venture, a Verizon venture day where we invite companies to come and pitch in front of our executive team in terms of new ideas, new business models. And then um, more importantly, as an investment professional, you're constantly looking at these big themes. So in the the case of artificial intelligence, we're very focused on what are the themes that are going to potentially impact Verizon in the near term and the longer term. And so you, you sort of invest with these ideas and find companies like Spark Cognition or other companies that, you know, there's a company called Versa that was uh, doing SD-WAN, uh, software-defined wide area networking. We we're one of the early investors in, in Versa too. So these are some ideas where you just deploy capital, work closely with the company, and then help the company bring that technology within Verizon as an example. So this is sort of some some of the examples I gave you as to you know sort of vehicles of innovation in a large company. Did
1: you work with a lot of uh, CTOs and CIOs in that in that kind of process? Like, I'm curious to see how much the technologists, the chief technologists for these companies, were involved in those were in that room. Like, who are the who are the people who you know had a seat at the table in those type of conversations? Who are the who are the people that you were talking to that were making decisions on that stuff?
2: Yeah, so I would I sort of um, sort of recall the process we have followed at at Verizon. I think it's very similar at large uh, other large corporate venture capital firms. Is generally you have the CTO of the company who is a part of your investment committee. If you don't have a CTO, most technology companies or technology providers have a CTO or chief uh, chief innovation officer. So that is one of the very important sort of persons at the table who are making this uh, you know this type of a decision. And that was you know sort of on a top down level, you talk about the chief technology officer from the bottom up level, when you're investing in companies, what the process at Verizon was, uh, how would you go to a, uh, to the product team and or the services team? that is relevant to what you're investing in and get feedback from them as to what they think about this technology or this trend. Is this of interest to them or not? And if so, you know, sort of evangelize the disruption process or the co-innovation process, so to speak. The best companies are companies who will not completely always listen to their product teams and would go and invest in companies that could potentially even compete with their product teams, right? In which case, uh, you're making a sort of a hedge, sort of a bet that, you know, if this startup is going to disrupt my core business, then I'm ahead of the curve, and I can acquire this company and sort of augment my core business or my product team, right? But these are sort of the kinds of people that uh, we would uh, very uh, closely interact with.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And then on, so when you're doing that, Do you have the conversation, you know, with the acquiring company, with that person's, you know, CTO or CIO, the acquiring, you know, group? How involved were you in kind of that handoff? Because I know that's one of the things, you know, we talked to Alvina Antar, I think it was episode two, about this because she used to work at Dell. And she said that one of the huge challenges when they would acquire companies was, you know, that that 12 to 18 month roadmap. Of how do we bring this technology into into the fold? Did you kind of see any like any best practices there, or any uh, any I guess uh, worst practices um, <laughs> that you saw from like bringing in companies and, and uh, assimilating them into into the uh, to the overall company? And it doesn't need to be just Verizon. Right. right. Anything that you saw just kind
2: of... Yeah. And I think it's a very good question, actually. I'm just going to quote what John Chambers uh, mentioned. One of the key highlights of John Chambers and his tenure, long tenure at Cisco and and the successful long tenure at Cisco was he executed on 181 acquisitions. And in many cases, the acquisitions, you know, he mentioned today at the All Hands meeting that one of the companies they acquired for $92 million dollars is generating $10 billion in revenue right now for Cisco. I don't think there's another company of that type uh, that you can find that, that has had a successful sort of template. And one of the things he mentioned at the, at the meeting was they figured out what was the formula that worked for them, right? They had less than 4% churn when it came to an, a company that was acquired and be integrated into Cisco, a 4% churn of these new employees leaving Cisco and moving on versus the industry of of as high as 20% churn, right? So something worked there. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, when they acquired companies, they acquired companies that were a perfect fit for them. They did a lot of um, due diligence on the culture and the core competencies of the team, you know, the product market fit part. And I think it also goes back to John's sort of leadership in managing these acquisitions and the integration of these acquisitions in a company. 90% of corporate acquisitions fail. And we've seen this movie over and over again where companies come either merge or they acquire, make large acquisitions. And five, 10 years later, they sort of write it off or say, you know, you know, the synergies didn't work out, right? That is the norm. But I would say from a best practice perspective, and John was mentioning this, that the acquisition process at Cisco is now taught in Harvard Business School as well as the Stanford Business School as sort of case studies of what they did and how did they templatize uh, that process.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. Do you find that as someone who's been an entrepreneur, uh, you know, started your own company, been an investor and now been an operator, is there, which one's the easiest, which one's the hardest um, uh, or, <laughs> or do there challenges? I'll give you an out
2: there. You know, it's it's uh, the easiest one. The easiest one is, uh, it depends, you know, it depends upon what your psychological profile is, right? It's very easy to cut checks. It also could be very painful to cut a check, right? So I would say if you were to rank order the, what is the toughest to what is the easiest, I would say the life of an entrepreneur or being an entrepreneur is the toughest on planet Earth. right? imagine five years ago when Amir started this company, it, all he had was a handful of people and a vision and a PowerPoint slide and a little bit of code. Fast forward, we're 226 employees and one of the fastest-growing artificial intelligence companies in the world, right? So I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a venture capitalist. I've also been an, now, um, as an entrepreneur, I was also the operator. But now, as a technology company, I'm. I'm in the operator role. I'll tell you, the operator role is very, very hard. It's very hard because you're trying to balance the needs of the business. You're trying to solve problems in real time that are hard problems to solve. And you're also trying to build confidence of your investors and your employees and your your leadership team, reinforcing the message that we're on the right track. You know, uh, John was mentioning today that there's a large, uh, large number of startups die at that, you know, going from 150 employees to, let's say, 500 employees to 5,000 employees. And one of the problems that large companies, when these companies face in terms of scaling the business is the culture? If they don't execute on the culture side, you know companies sort of start disintegrating from from the inside, right? But I would say to answer your question, you know, being a venture capitalist is very—it's a very hard job in terms of the metrics you're judged at. I think that the hardest because there's no black and white there. You either make money and you're a successful venture capitalist, or you are not. Yeah. Um, Right, so it's, it's very hard. It was very easy to cut a check. It's very hard, it's probably the hardest to get judged because there's no you know scope for interpretation. And then on the other spectrum, you know, as an operator, it's very hard on a day to day basis in terms of building the business and, and going to market and selling products and solutions. And it's just generally very hard to, but but at, when you get to a certain scale, all of a sudden the vicious, uh, the virtuous cycle. Of, hey, you're big enough. It looks like you have some big customers, so I'm going to trust you. It goes from a, the chicken and egg problem as to who is going to take a bet with you and the Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm, the early adopters versus the late adopters. As an operator, that's, that's sort of the battle you, you sort of fight.
1: All right, let's get into the lightning round. These are fast and easy questions, questions you have never seen before, but It'll be fast and easy, not unlike the Lightning Platform by our friends at Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. AI-powered apps, there you go. Right in the name, Salesforce building apps is everyone's business. Fast and easy, like these questions. Let's get into it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
2: Google Maps. Google Maps is the most fun.
1: <laughs> what are you like zooming out super far and like looking at stuff, or uh, just getting oh, you for you me know, to uh, be?
2: You know, I don't. Uh, uh, you know, I drive a lot, and I'm new to Austin, so, uh, so that's a, that's an app that uh, that's a lifesaver.
1: Oh, speaking of that, we're going to be in Austin uh, for serious decisions in in May. Maybe we'll have to swing by HQ.
2: Absolutely, uh, open
1: invitation. All right, what's your favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen out in the wild? So the no, nothing Spark recognition related.
2: I think there, there is, a, I don't remember the name of the app per se, but there's an app that has been used uh, by people as an automated sort of admin. It will set up, I don't remember the name of the app. I'm sorry, I'm obviously not using it, but that was a very interesting concept where you can schedule your calendar using AI.
1: Yeah, that's great. Do you have a favorite uh, team, sports or otherwise?
2: I should be careful what I say here because, uh, you know, obviously now we're in Texas. uh, We love anything Texas, right? I I used to watch a lot of cricket when I was in India and I think uh, cricket is still uh, a lot of interest to me and, you know, the Indian cricket team is uh, definitely a favorite team.
1: What about a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently?
2: I would say the least, the latest book i would read was Bad Blood. And I think that was one of the most fascinating books I've read in, in the last maybe five, seven years. I couldn't put the uh, book down when I opened and started reading it. So I would rate that as a very, my top book right now. What do you do for fun? What I do, do for fun? I'd like to um, spend a lot of time with my kids. I have a seven year old and a, a soon to be four year old. I think the, the most amount of fun I have is when I go back home and I spend time with them. That's the best part of my day. That's what I do for fun.
1: Last question of the lightning round. What is your best advice for a first time C-level executive?
2: Um, Very good question. I think the first time C-level executive would be to, uh, when you enter into that, that role I think the stakes are completely at a different level altogether, and you are the leader of the company and everybody looks up to you. And so it's very important to understand that the stress and sort of the responsibilities come with the territory. And what I would recommend uh, first-time C-levels would be, you know, take a deep breath, go a day at a time. Don't let stress get to you um, and keep a positive attitude because, you know, positivity is something that trickles down in the culture of a company and um, individuals impact profile and the mindset of a company. So as a C-level, what would be very important is how do you sort of communicate with with your peers as well as the general public, uh, because everything you say and everything you do has an impact on the extended workforce. I
1: love it. That is it for the lightning round. We love Salesforce. You will too go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more about the Lightning platform and how you can build AI powered apps faster and easier. BJ, anything
2: else, anything we missed? No, Ian, uh, thank you for your time. I look forward to hosting you in Austin at our headquarters when you're here. And, uh, thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, we we're just really excited to have you on and, and we'll be following along to see what's going on with Spark Cognition. This is really exciting stuff. And obviously, AI is at the forefront of what everybody's thinking about these days. So uh, I'm sure we will will have you back on the pod soon.
0: Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.